Thank you, Michael and band. Good morning. What a great Easter Sunday uh, it has already been, and we are so happy you're here at First Baptist. You know, one of the uh, one of the words in the English language that carries a lot of power, sometimes a lot of sadness, is the word "if." If I would have done this, if I would have chosen this career path. Me and many of your wives are thinking this morning, if I would have married the one my parents wanted me to marry. We have an election coming up, big election. If Obama wins or if probably Romney running against him, if he wins, what will be the results? Well, I want to tell you this morning, as important and as serious as some of those questions are, None compare ultimately to this question, and that's if the resurrection is really true. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened. Everything, in fact, my first big thought this morning is this, is everything rises and falls on the resurrection. Now, you, you say, well, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm having uh, ham for lunch and it's already ready. doesn't matter about the resurrection. I'm talking about things of ultimate, eternal value. Everything, everything rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ if he arose. Now, when we talk about the resurrection, we have to be clear specifically what we do mean by the resurrection. People aren't clear on it all the time. And uh, if you've never taught like a third, fourth grade, four-year-old Sunday school, you, you need to sometimes just for the, the stories you can get from him. Uh, a four-year-old Sunday school class, the week before Easter, the teacher wanted to see how good a job that she was doing. So she asked the kids in her class, what does Easter mean? And one little boy raised his hand quickly and he said, Easter is when you eat turkey, watch football, and you don't have to go to school on Thursday and Friday. The teacher shook her head and she said, well, that's not good. That's just one kid. Another kid raised his hand. She called on him and that kid said, Easter is when you have trees and you open presents and Santa Claus comes, and the teacher at this point is fixing to resign from teaching the class. And another little boy raises his hand, and, and <clears throat> with reservation she calls on him, and, and he says, Easter is about the death of Jesus Christ. And she's going, yes. Jesus Christ dying on the sin, the cross, <coughs> being crucified. Jesus Christ rising from the dead and walking out of his tomb. And if he sees his shadow, we have six more weeks of bad luck. She resigned and never taught kids again the rest of her life. In Matthew 28 this morning, we're going to look at several scriptures. This will be one of our bases. Matthew 28, 1 through 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the resurrection story because it's a central story. Everything rises and falls on it. Starting in verse 1, after the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, don't be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Look in verse 6. He is not here. He has arisen just as he said. Come and see the place where he laid. Now, very importantly, the word arisen in your Bibles 
literally means a physically a physical bodily getting up. It's not saying that Jesus Christ symbolically rose from the tomb. It's not saying figuratively he rose from the tomb. Well, that word risen literally means someone is laying down, sitting down, uh, in this case are dead, and they physically, bodily, and get up. You see, the New Testament says that Jesus Christ didn't spiritually arise, that Jesus Christ physically, bodily, got up and walked out of the tomb. And everything rises and falls, young people, old people, and everybody in between, on whether that's true or not. Here's the first thing. If it's true, everything Jesus said about himself and about you is true. If what Jesus Christ did, walked out of the tomb, if that's true, he's who he said he was. Folks, if you can be brutally murdered on Friday and on Sunday, you can get up and walk out, you need to be listened to, correct? What it means is, is that he is the Savior of the world. And when he said he's the only Savior of the world, he was accurate. When he said that you and I are lost without him and need to give our lives to him, he was telling the truth. When he said heaven's real and hell's hot, he was telling the truth. If Jesus walked out of the tomb, everything he said was accurate. Now, here's the flip side of that. If he didn't, Christianity's of no value. If Jesus Christ did not walk out of the tomb, Christianity is of no value. In 1 Corinthians 15, it states this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I, I had a dear friend in Fort Worth who was Muslim. We had a very good relationship. He asked me one time, he said, are Baptist and Christian the same thing? And I said, sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you, you, know, you, you know, Christians who are backslidden, he told me he was a backslidden Muslim. Isn't that funny? I'm not very committed. <laughs> so I understand. I understand how that is. But here's what he said about Jesus. He said, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus taught good things. And I want to tell you, that's not true. If you go around telling people you're the son of God and that you are God and that everybody's going to hell without a relationship with you and that you're going to walk out of the tomb after three days and you don't do it, you're not a good guy. You're a liar. Oh, well, Christianity teaches nice and good things. So do the Boy Scouts. Friend, if, if you're a liar about fundamentally who you are, I don't want to hear very much about what you have to say. C.S. Lewis was a great English writer and later in his life a Christian apologist. He stated it very well. He said either Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he's the son of God or he was a madman. Either he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings or he's a liar and a lunatic. And it all rises and falls on what happened that Easter morning. You see, many of us here this morning, we believe Jesus walked out of the tomb probably. We have an intellectual belief that's right here. It has not come in in our heart and changed our lives. Some of you this morning honestly may doubt it. You may not believe it really happened. Some of you have totally bought into it. But I want us to examine some hard facts this morning.
to see really what happened that first Sunday. Because we need to know this. The second thing, did he arise? Did he arise? If everything falls on it, did he? Now, now guys, let me, let me tell you this. Let's say you don't buy into Christianity, but you want to be a scholar. You want to be intelligent. You want to take a, a, a scholar's view. Study, really study history. Really look at the life of Jesus Christ. It's a historical fact that a guy named Jesus of Nazareth lived and died 2,000 years ago in that part of the world, and that he was crucified on the cross. That's a historical fact. It is a historical fact that something really weird happened that first Sunday morning, that his body disappeared. That's a historical fact, too. But, but was his body stolen? Was Jesus just knocked out in the tomb and he pushes that big stone away and walks out? Let's look at some of the facts. In Matthew 27, verse 65 and 66, this is after Jesus died and they put him in the tomb and the Jewish leaders were very afraid that that Jesus' followers were going to come and steal his body. Remember, they had been hearing that he said he was going to arise, so they wanted to make sure that, that Peter and them didn't come in there and steal his body and say, look, he's gone, he's gone. In verse 65, it says, Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, let's talk about the guard first of all. Some people say, well, this was a Jewish guard, the temple guard, but I don't believe it was that. I believe it was the, a Roman guard. Now, when you, when, if I told you to go get a guard, you'd think, okay, that's, that's one guy. I'll get one guy, you know, I'll, go, I'll grab one of these youth, m- young men here, and they'll come and they'll guard something with me. That's not what a Roman guard was. You know, you see the pictures of a guy in a miniskirt with a sword standing in front of the tomb. That's not what it was. A Roman guard was 16 soldiers. Okay, and let's say they captured Wayne for insurrection, and they were going to punish him, but they wanted to guard him. So they might put him against this wall and chain him to that post, and then four guards would be on active duty. They would, they would gather around him about six feet apart with spears and swords ready. The other 12 would form a semicircle outside of the four on duty. When they got ready to go to sleep, they would sleep with their head facing Wayne. Okay? Every four hours, they changed guards. These were trained military professionals. These were the best of the best. These were the Marines of of the the Roman soldiers. So to get Jesus' body from them, you were going to have to walk through 12. Even if they were asleep, you're going to have tiptoe past them. And you were going to have to then overcome four highly trained soldiers who were obviously going to wake up the 12 who were laying there asleep, that's going to be a very, very difficult thing, okay? If a Roman soldier guarding a prisoner or a Roman guard lost that prisoner, you know what the penalty was? It wasn't you don't get Fruit Loops for breakfast the next morning. It was death. If you lost your prisoner, you died. In Acts chapter 12, we see that. When Peter miraculously escaped prison, the soldiers were examined and then they were killed. These guys had a whole lot at stake. If I tell you to guard my ice cream or I'm going to kill you and you think I'm serious, you're going to guard it well, correct? Correct. 
if you're smart. And I might kill you if you lost it anyway. Secondly, it said they sealed the tomb. What did that mean? It means they took a cord and they, they, they went from one end of the stone to the other. They took some clay and they affixed it to, to part of the, the mountain there and put that cord there and came on the other side and put some clay. Basically, they weren't securing the stone in a, a physical way as much in a metaphorical way, saying it's sealed. And then on the, the, each part of the clay, they would have taken the, the governor, Pilate's signet, his stamp, and stamped that, making it official. And that had to be done in the presence of a Roman guard. And if that seal was broken before it, they were given approval, the FBI, the CIA, and all those people of the Roman Empire got involved. It's serious, serious business, okay? Now, on top of that, you have a, a stone that's probably two tons, Two tons is roughly 4,000 pounds. Some Georgia Tech engineers were in the Holy Land several years ago. They looked at ancient stones and looked at ancient gravestones. Jesus was buried in a rich man's cave tombs, basically what it was. And they covered these tombs with a stone. What they did, would do is they would have this stone beside it, and they would cut a trench in front of it, and they would put some wedges blocking it. Once they got the body in there and all the people got out they wanted to get out, they would remove those wedges, and it would, it would just naturally roll right into place right there. So if someone was going to steal that body... They were going to have to get past those highly trained Roman soldiers who were going to die if they lost that body. They were going to have to break the seal, which they knew, everybody knew was a serious thing. And then they were going to have to push a two-ton stone out of the way. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Pretty tough. But you think about that. But when the ladies got there that morning, the tomb was empty. If you read credible uh, history outside of the Bible you'll hear that the tomb was empty. That'll make you think, doesn't it? And then all of a sudden, you've got all these people claiming that they have seen this dead man. In verse 27, excuse me, verse 7 through 10 in chapter 28, the angel says, Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. I love verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. That's, that was a, a, a way in that day and age. Jesus said, hello. Hey, ladies. Kind of startles you when a dead person meets you. And it says they fell down and they grabbed his feet. We're going to look at that in a moment, more at what that meant. But i tell you one thing it meant. I mean, he was real. I, I don't have any academic studies in the paranormal, a degree in ghostology or anything like that. But I know ghosts like you do from the movies. Casper, I grew, how many of you grew up on Casper? Do any of y'all even know who Casper? Casper was a nice Christian ghost, friendly ghost. <laughs> My understanding, though, ghosts don't have bodies, do they? You can't touch them. You can't feel them. And that's part of the thing. They grabbed his feet. He was, he was alive. He was real. And in Luke, there's another interesting passage that tells us about Jesus eating some fish. I believe it's in Luke, isn't it? Yeah, there it is. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. Now, I, I want to be honest with you. As a 
professed redneck. I'm disappointed Jesus didn't get that fish fried. But Jesus probably was a little healthier than many of us. And he ate broiled fish. But again, I don't know much about ghosts, but I don't think that ghosts eat. Okay? You're beginning to get a little bit of a, a pattern here. That these people are seeing somebody who they saw murdered three days earlier. And now they're touching him. They're looking at him. And he's eating in their presence. In 1 Corinthians 15, one of the most interesting and profound passages in the Bible, it says, for what I received, I passed on to you. Look, not as kind of important, not as sort of important, but of first importance, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Verse 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's a way of saying died. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Now, James was his half-brother. James didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He thought he was a nut. And then James later becomes the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. You know why? Not because he had heard Jesus preach all those great sermons. It's because he saw him dead, and now he's seeing him alive. And it says he appeared to 500 people at one time. And Paul said, look, he was telling them, some of them have died. Many of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, go ask them is what he was saying. How many of you remember the Casey Anthony trial last year? You remember that? Oh, raise your hands. How many of you? We'll pass the offering plate three times if you don't start responding better. <laughs> Not that that'll matter, but we'll do it. Uh, it was a really, really horrible thing. You know, her two-year-old daughter, Kaylee, was, was, died. And uh, mom became a suspect. Mom was put on trial for murdering her daughter. And I, just in everything I saw on, on the news and TV, boy, it looked almost a done deal she was going to be convicted. I mean, it it was, you know, every, all the experts I talked to, uh, it was a no-brainer. It was going to happen. Well, what happened, she gets acquitted. Not said she was innocent, she gets acquitted. It was not proven guilty. And people were freaked out. And who knows, you know, God knows what happened. She knows what happened, probably. But I want to tell you, if there would have been one eyewitness, and there may have been an eyewitness, but none of them came forward. If there had been one eyewitness that would have came forward who was credible and said, I saw her kill her daughter. She probably would have been convicted. But I want to tell you, folks, if there would have been 10 credible people come forward and said, I saw her kill her daughter, she'd be on death row in Florida right now, not walking around like you and me. And if 500 would have come forward, there wouldn't have even been a trial. And they're saying here 500 people saw Jesus Christ after he walked out of the tomb. Are you kind of getting a pattern here? Let me give you something else that's really, really important. When was the New Testament written? I mean, was it written two or three hundred years after Jesus? And like you'll hear sometimes on the Discovery or the History Channel. Don't listen to those channels about the Bible. Most of the time they're interviewing people who don't believe in the Bible to tell you about the Bible. Isn't that crazy? I mean, don't interview somebody about Louisiana Tech that hates Louisiana Tech as an expert about the school. And don't listen to somebody who doesn't believe the Bible about the Bible. The New Testament, the New Testament was written right after Jesus Christ died in the rose. 
There was a scholar named Dr. Robinson, who was a very liberal scholar in Europe, who didn't believe in the miracles of the Bible, didn't believe in the resurrection, all that. Then he, he did an interesting thing. He began to study for himself. He began to look into the facts, and he said, I was stunned what I saw. Dr. Robinson said he believed that some of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were actually written and being circulated within seven years of Jesus' death and resurrection, and that every book, all 27 books in the New Testament, were completed and in circulation at the very latest by A.D. 90. Now, Jesus died and arose about A.D. 33, so that's 57 years after his death and resurrection. Why am I telling you this? Because this stuff was not made up or written 300 years later by people who weren't around to see it. This was written by people who were there. And listen, when people who saw it were there and other people who could have said, no, this didn't happen, were there too, that validates it. World War II ended in 1945. That's 67 years ago. But there's still a lot of people alive who were alive when World War II was going on. And for someone to come like that, the, the Iranian leader who says the Holocaust never happened. You know, that guy's got issues in a lot of ways. But there are Holocaust survivors alive that can say that it did happen. Folks, there were, when the New Testament was written, when these things were written, there were a lot of people around that could have stepped forward and said, no, this did not happen, this isn't true. But this stuff survived, I believe, because it was true. Everything falls and rises on the resurrection. You better be right on this. Let me give you one other big thing. The... The followers of Jesus weren't expecting him to arise. You ever thought about that? In Mark 16, 1, Mark 16, 1, it says, when, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Now, there was a Jewish practice after a death that you would go to the tomb, and if you could get somebody to remove the stone for you, get 15 chubby men to push it away, then you went in and you anointed the body with oil. They were, listen, they were not going to the tomb to worship the risen Lord. They were going to the tomb to anoint the dead Jesus. Did you get that? It's subtle, but it's very important. Now, women, I'm fixing to make you mad, but not on purpose. The first witnesses to the resurrection and the first to report it were women. In Jesus' day, women were not considered credible witnesses in court. Now, certainly I don't feel that way. But it was that way 2,000 years ago. It's strange that they would have women reporting this, wasn't it? And then you go to Jesus' followers the day uh, on Sunday, Resurrection Day. In John chapter 20, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together praising God and celebrating the resurrection, no, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Have you ever thought about this? The very people who went out preaching and and proclaiming that Jesus is alive, did not expect him to be alive on Sunday morning. You ever thought about that? 
And this may sound really weird, but the person who has more credibility is the one probably who didn't believe the thing going into it. Josh, raise your hand. Raise your hand, Josh. This is Josh here. Josh is our youth minister. Josh and Ed Colvin. Ed was in our first service. Uh, Ed used to be on, on staff. This was 10 years ago or so. It was before I got here. These two guys who are big enough, strong enough to be WWF tag team wrestlers were over in our old white building late one night. It was after a youth event. It was about 12 o'clock, 12, 15. They're over in the old building by themselves, and they hear a noise. So they stop, and they wait, and they listen, and both of them swear they then heard footsteps above them. I said, what would you guys do? Did y'all run toward the footsteps, run up the stairs? No, they ran out of the building like four-year-old scared girls screaming. And Josh and Ed both, to this day, are convinced that there is a ghost in the old white building. So keep that in mind as you plan church functions. I, on the other hand, believe both of them are wonderful people who are slightly goofy. And I don't believe there is a ghost over there. I'm telling you that to tell you this. If you see me running out of that building screaming like a four-year-old girl saying I saw a ghost, you might believe it because I'm not expecting it to happen. The ones who said Jesus arose, they weren't throwing celebra- resurrection parties that morning. They were scared to death. And here's the last thing, guys. Have you thought about this? All these guys died horrible deaths because they believed Jesus rose from the grave. Let me ask you this. What are you willing to die for? Your, your husband or wife, maybe? Your kids? Your pastor? I'll count on that. Very, very few things. How many of you are willing to die for a lie? Hey, this is stupid and ridiculous, and I think I'll be tortured and die for it. How many of you? Nobody would do that. Let me tell you how Jesus' disciples died. Because they proclaimed that he had arisen from the dead. Andrew, one of Peter, it was Peter's brother, was crucified, hung on the cross for about two days. The whole time as people walked by, he was telling them to give their life to Jesus. James, the brother of John, not Jesus, was beheaded for his Christian faith. Philip was stoned to death. Peter and his wife were crucified. Before he was crucified, Peter was forced to watch his wife crucified. Some of your men are going, what's so tough about that? Well, Peter loved her. It would have been tough for him. And as she was being led to her death, Peter said, remember the Lord. Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. Matthew, the book of Matthew, was burned at the stake, burned to death. Thomas was martyred by being ran through with a spear. And Thaddeus was clubbed to death for his faith. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, was boiled in a pot of hot oil, but he didn't die. And later he was basically marooned on the Isle of Patmos as a prisoner for the rest of his life. Why did they do those things? You know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus did arise. 
Folks, I want to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ did come back to life. You don't die for a lie. Not one dumb person may, but the whole group doesn't. They were transformed and changed forever because Jesus Christ did arise. And I want to ask you this morning, what will you do today about this? Okay, you, you can leave here and say, well, I don't believe he did. I think you're very wrong. I think the facts stack so heavily towards this. Or you can leave here this morning like a lot of people are going to leave church and go, you know, I believe it, that's good, whatever, i got a lot to do. Or you can do the one thing you need to do this morning, and that's give yourself completely to Jesus. In Matthew 28, verse 9, it says, They fell at his feet, they grabbed his feet, and they worshipped him. In this culture, when you met someone who was your superior, greatly your superior, you fell at their feet. They'd seen Jesus murdered, now they saw him alive. I believe they did want to touch him, but they bowed at his feet and they worshiped him. Folks, worship in the Bible is the picture of a dog licking its master's hand. It is surrender. It's giving yourself over to someone. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says this, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies. That's why he's saying offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Many of you are Christians today, and you've offered yourself as a living sacrifice to Christ. The only problem with a living sacrifice is it has a tendency to crawl off the altar. So you crawl back on it. You're not a Christian this morning. Man, the guy walked out of the tomb. He's who he said he He's who he said he was. Give yourself to him. There's a great verse in the end of John where, where, where listen to what Jesus told him. You guys, you've seen me and you believe, but blessed, I'm going to paraphrase this, blessed are those in First Baptist Ruston in 2012 who, although they've not seen me, will believe. I want to ask you this morning, will you believe it? Will you not just believe it here, but will you let it sink from your head to your heart and change your life? If he did, and he did, everything he said about himself and you and me is true. And I'm not exaggerating to say that we need to respond to him this morning. Let's pray. You're a Christian. We're throwing out the challenge to you in, in just a minute to crawl back on that altar to Christ. Give yourself completely to Him. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure, right where you're seated, I challenge you to pray with me and just say, Jesus, man, I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for me. And I believe today that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And right now, right here, 
I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Just a second, we're going to stand. I'm going to let Michael sing. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads. But I'm challenging you today to respond to Christ. Christian, maybe it'll be where you're standing. Maybe it's at the altar that you need to say to Jesus, afresh, I believe it. And I'm re-giving myself completely to you. Maybe you'd like to join our church family today. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that is by coming, letting a minister help you with that decision. You come and do that. Maybe you just prayed with me and gave your life to Christ. Or maybe today you're ready to do that. We'll have ministers down here. We can help you with that decision. Guys, he arose. But we got to make a choice. I want to ask you to stand and bow your heads and make that choice this morning.